welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Witch City Witches. And please rate and review us so other folks can find this podcast. So today we have a, a fun topic. We are going to be talking about witches, mythology, and magic in pop culture. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> so we'll try to restrain ourselves a little bit because we can, um, you know, you can really expand this topic to be almost anything. So try to- I have a feeling it- this might end up being more than one episode in the end. <laughs> Maybe not today, but I feel like it's a fun, ongoing conversation. Right. Um, so I have to say, I suggested this topic because I was watching on Netflix a TV show, which I know I mentioned to you, I don't know if you've seen, which was Invisible City, which is a Brazilian show. Not um, yet, ba- but it's on my list. Oh, yeah. So it's based on Brazilian folklore. I'm interested in hearing your take on how close it comes to the folklore as you know it and, you know, how how much liberties they've taken with it as um, as most TV shows and movies do, but uh, yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I'm really curious to watch it. So I'll definitely let you know. I guess we'll have to do another episode at that point. So I think I would like to start off by talking about things that in pop culture that influenced me as a child that have really set me on my path that I'm on right now. Um, and I don't know, maybe you have some things as well. Mm-hmm. So. I would say when I was like really little, like like five and six years old, the things in pop culture that really kind of formed my impression of magic and how magic works, there's actually a lot of a lot of sci-fi. So like Star Wars and the original Battlestar Galactica, although Battlestar Galactica wasn't magic, but it was based, everyone had names taken from mythology and their costumes look like Egyptian stuff and it just really the idea of the force still shapes my idea of magic and how magic works and also two television shows based on comic books Wonder Woman and no one will remember this but a Isis which was a comic book based on the goddess Isis which what came out was a TV show directly to try to steal some of the Wonder Woman thunder in the late 70s. Um, so I was a very small child at the time. And these things all sort of influenced that I, because I was very into mythology and stuff. In fact, the original Clash of the Titans in 1981 came out. I was seven years old and I already knew enough of the, you know, the traditional mythos that I was upset the changes that they made as a seven-year-old. <laughs> Although it's still, it's, I like it now in a nostalgic way and it is still much better than the more recent version that they made with Sam Worthington. I didn't like that one at all. So can you explain a little bit about, I guess, Star Wars and, you know, how that relates to making you think of witchcraft? Sure. I, it's just, I think it's the the idea of the Jedi, the idea of the force, the idea of manipulating energy fields to affect the real world. And, you know, in the mind magic that they used that, you know, Lucas has said a lot of the idea of the Jedi were based on, is based on Shinto, you know, so it's very much, it's a, you know, it's a Japanese system that he, he based a lot of it on that Star Wars was written as a samurai movie. But like that idea 
of that there's this this electromagnetic force something in the universe that if you can tap into correctly you can change the universe that had a profound effect of me i think what star wars came out when i was like four three maybe and somehow my parents let me see it in the theater (laughs) (laughs) which is very off-brand for my mom and dad you know that that idea and that that you know this like this this jedi that that this you know these these priestly warriors that i don't know it was just very it was very influential on my way of thinking my my love of star wars definitely died off with the prequels and i've i haven't actually seen all of the prequels or all of the more i haven't seen uh the rise of skywalker yet so i just i don't really care about star wars anymore but mm-hmm. it was very influential to me as a child. And I still care about those Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, see, for me, I didn't sort of have an aha moment that happened in media first because I grew up hearing about tarot because my aunt is an astrologer and she's a tarot reader and she works with chakras. So I grew up hearing all these things and just really wanting to know what they were. Like I was completely just obsessed and fixated on the idea of tarot without knowing anything about it. Like I just knew that I wanted that. All I knew was, oh, my aunt reads tarot. I'm like, I've never even seen a tarot deck, but I want that. <laughs> and yeah. so my, my memories in the media start with Dark Crystal. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That came out in 1982. I was born in 83 and I was absolutely just obsessed with that magical universe and that I you know like that whole well all of it and they had it you know on VHS at the little video rental store (laughs) around the corner from my house and I would make my parents go in and renew the rental over and over and over because I just wanted to watch it forever. I would say that that movie influenced my love of astrology with I think her name's Ogra um, her orrery that she has of all the planets that spin around and like that giant, you know, mechanical thing. I think that, yeah, that, that probably influenced my love of astrology. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is super witchy and vibe and I just have always loved mysticism in general. So that was a big one. And then I don't really have anything that sticks out to me until, you know, the craft in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've mentioned that for you, you know, you were already in college, right? Yeah. 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 And so 1996, I was 13. So I was sort of like prime preteen, like ready to like, you know, get my witch on age. Right. <laughs> How did you perceive that movie when you saw it? Like, I... I loved it. And honestly, I still have a soft spot for it. And when I was trying to think of, you know, what movies to pick for this, I was really thinking about the criteria. I'm like, okay, I'm looking specifically for movies with witches. That was kind of my take mm-hmm. on what you were doing. And then I was thinking, I was like, yeah, but what does that mean? Is it just because they say that they're witches in the movie? Do I care if it correlates to like my practice of witchcraft at all? You know, I was, I got into that sort of thought process And I realized that sort of across the board, when I try and think of movies that portray witchcraft in a way that is close to what my actual practice is, unfortunately, the craft is one of the ones that gets closest as far as 
the, the ritual details and mm-hmm. they actually talk about the relationship to deity as part of witchcraft which is very 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 rare you know I feel like I was trying to think of another example where witchcraft was actually talked about in conjunction with spirituality of some sort and I was like all right well mists of Avalon but I struggled yeah. to find really anything else until we get to chilling adventures of Sabrina but we can save that for later <laughs> but there's not a lot that really looks at witchcraft as having a spiritual component in the media yeah I have rewatched the craft recently and I, I actually, I like it. I think it holds up. I like it better now than when I first saw it. I think I wasn't, I was in my early twenties. I was just not in, it wasn't made for me. at that time. I, I'm basically, I'm the same age as the actors in that movie. Um, and <laughs> I just, I just, it didn't work for me. And, but I think now looking back at it and honestly of the four characters, I do relate most to Sarah. I guess I am that uptight and boring. Like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I know that that's, that's not the, uh, that's not the popular one to say you relate to, but yeah, she's Wait. the one that I relate to. Wait, who are we supposed to relate to? Bruce Balk. No. I... Every, everyone I know is like, oh, she's the best. Cause like, but it's like, no, she's crazy and she destroys shit for, for like, just for fun. Like, I don't oh, want to I guess I'm that. uptight too. I, <laughs> I guess I'm uptight too. Who knew? No, but I mean, honestly, but I think that that's amazing too, because here you see someone who gets completely, you know, lost in the, the power tripping of witchcraft and she gets her comeuppance. Like there's a lot there that I think is valuable. Um, I love that they were deliberate about not picking a real deity so they wouldn't offend anybody. You know, they actually had a witch as a consultant. They were so careful to, I know there was an original plot point where they were going to uh, drop a goldfish in the ocean mm-hmm. and the witch stepped in and said, well, you can't do that because that's a freshwater fish. You're going to kill it. You know, And so yeah. it, it, it was very, very careful in it. And the, this witch that was helping was very involved. And I think that that makes a big difference. I think that the character, like the woman running the witch shop in that movie is very on point. I recognize her in um, a lot of the witch shops that I've been into. Oh, yeah. I I wanted to go to that shop so badly. <laughs> it's actually funny because the place where I got my very first tarot deck actually had a really similar vibe. Mm-hmm. And I was eight years old and we were still living in Germany. And my aunt had asked my mom to bring her some new tarot decks. And so my mom took me, like, I have no idea where, and just dragged me into the store. And I just, like, stood there mouth open like jaw drop just so fascinated by this and this is when I you know at this point I had been wanting a tarot deck and my aunt had told my mom you can get her one but it has to be a little one so she got me this little tiny rider weight <laughs> I don't know why it had to be small but so you know in my mind there's now this memory of this old super witchy amazing shop somewhere in Germany that I hope still exists so this is a digression off the topic but my first tarot deck I was probably 14 or 15 and I bought it at um, Seven Stars in Boston, which I've been there. Seven Stars now is in Central Square. It was originally in Harvard Square on JFK Street and it was in like an old, like a three family house. It was on several layers and and it was like now it's in Central Square and it's like a, this big store and it's all laid out like a store. But this was just like this crazy old house with just stuff 
like books piled everywhere. And it was a type of place that you would just like find a random corner and sit on the floor and read the book. And I, I mean, I'm not sure why they moved to Central Square. I am assuming it was rent related because Harvard Square is a nightmare. Yeah, but I was there probably six years ago at this point and I, mm -hmm. I really liked it. That's where I yeah. got my Cavalian. Yeah. Um, in fact, they were they were in Harvard Square at least up until the late 90s because when I was getting married, I went to an astrologer there to help me pick a date. And so she had her office on one of the top floors of this old three-family house um, that had been converted to commercial space. So, but yeah, those, I don't know, I love those kind of like ramshackle little witch stores. I mean, obviously we're in Salem. There's lots of witch stores. You have a yarn and witch store yourself, so. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of off topic. You brought up The Miss of Avalon and that was definitely, for my teenage years, that book was um, was really what set me directly into um, researching Wicca um, because, you know, that's where, you know, Marion Zimmer Bradley was coming from. And of course, it's only been in like the past, I think, six years ago that it, that came out, like how terrible a person she was. Right. That book was very influential to me. And that was, again, like you said, talking about that brought in the um, was very much about religion as part of magic mm -hmm. and, you know, this goddess oriented religion. And what really brought me to that book was my obsession with all things King Arthur which I think also ties in very much with the witchcraft element, um, specifically through Merlin and a lot of the stories they focus on, you know, Merlin's magic rather than um, any female witches. When I was in middle school and high school, I would read anything about King Arthur. And my mom actually just bought me Miss of Avalon. I think she like found it at a rummage sale because she's like, oh, it's a King Arthur thing. Beck will read it. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, some of them were magical and some of them were more historical based. So, but I was, I was completely obsessed with King Arthur. And my, yeah. my tarot reading aunt's the one who gave me the Mists of Avalon mm -hmm. books. But like, and like, it had like an afterward where she talked about like that she was actually part of a magical community, which I guess before she died, she refuted and went back to a, being like an Episcopalian or something, but it happens. <laughs> and I was gonna say like for other books that when I was young that really influenced me one um the series the chronicles of Narnia which was very much based on mythology obviously Christian mythology a lot of it um and the witch was the evil person the white witch was turning was you know going against Aslan but those books were very influential for me again and this idea of like world building mythos magic and how magic would work in the real world although I really only reread re the first couple books because I hated what they did to Susan at the end of it like Susan was the teenage sister I don't have you have you read the, the Chronicles I have Narnia? yeah yeah Susan was the teenage sister and she like didn't come back for the last book because she was too interested in makeup and boys and she didn't believe in magic anymore and I was like this is some bullshit right here and so you know when I was eight that <laughs> When I was eight, that last book is what turned me against the patriarchy. Like, <laughs> you know, why can't you like boys and makeup and magic all at the same time? That right. Like <laughs> so I had a soft spot for Narnia because I, you know, I did read that growing up. In fact, that book was actually read to my class when I was, I don't know, eight, seven, something. I don't know. Uh, but 
you know, and I didn't catch any of the religious subtext at that point. Like that went right over my head. I was just like, oh, beautiful magic world. And, you know, and then I found out about that connection and that kind of soured it a little, but when it really soured for me is that this is the, the story of Narnia is used as a metaphor for folks who are trying to convert people to Christianity very frequently in flyer format. And when you work in witch shops in Salem, people bring you this literature all the time and ask you why you hate Jesus. And so that's kind of ruined that memory of the books for me. Yeah. The other book series that was very influential for me is The Pridane Cycle by Lloyd Alexander, which was based in Welsh mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, Although Alexander is an American writer, but he was, you know, very influenced by Welsh gods and mythos. And um, in fact, my currently today in 2021, my household Wi-Fi is named Pridane. It was a very influential book for me. And Elena, in a lot of ways, it's the ancestral story of the heir to the kingdom who has been hidden away on a farm. And then he has to like, you know, it's the hero's journey. He has to, you know, find his destiny. But for a children's story, it was pretty gory. Um, They made what is widely considered to be the worst Disney animated film, The Black Cauldron, based on the second book in the series. But The Black Cauldron is this cauldron where the bad guy is reviving the corpses of the soldiers to make a zombie army. Like, (laughs) so like, that's, it was a pretty dark book for, to be a kid's book, but that one um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, specifically for mythology, I think that that and Celtic mythology, that really tied into my obsession with King Arthur, that sort of, you know, British Irish um, type of worldview. Okay, how do you feel about the King Arthur retelling with Clive Owen and Kira Knightley? I have not seen it. I think that they're both beautiful people. I... I actually really liked it and it's kind of embarrassing, but you need to watch it so we can talk about it. Okay. Okay. I will. Yeah. I mean, I can like picture them in my head and I can picture the weird like tube top that Kira Knightley, like the, her like battle tube top that she wears. Oh, it's just a strap. It's a belt. (laughs) She actually went on the news and talked about how ridiculous it was that they photoshopped her boobs into like teacups when we all know that she does not have that. She was very upset about it you know, for the promotional posters. Right. So we've talked about craft, I think. Well, so the one that we haven't talked about yet that was big for my childhood, you know, came out two years later, Practical Magic. Oh, okay. And that is hands down one of my favorite movies of all time, I'll admit. I even went back and read the book when I figured out it was a book. Mm -hmm. I read Rules of Magic, which is, you know, like the prequel. And I even have on my bedside table, Um, the one that came out recently that goes back and retells Maria's story. It's Mm -hmm. called Magic Lessons. I haven't had time to read it yet, but I'm like, I'm in deep with practical magic. (laughs) Yeah, I did like that one. Um, I've only seen it once and it was a long time ago, but I did like that. Have you, I guess it was sort of at the same time, maybe a little earlier. Have you seen Witches of Eastwick? Yes. Yes. That was a weird one. (laughs) I... It was actually my dad's second wife who showed me showed me that one, I think. Yeah. But see, okay, so this gets me into a, like another one of the criteria that I was thinking, which is, you know, are the riches portrayed as good 
or as villains. And in that one, you know, like they're not good people. They are giving someone who deserves it their the comeuppance, but I don't think we come out of that feeling good about witches. <laughs> I think one of my issues at the time, of course, like it was, I'm sorry, I'm just looking up, it was 87. And so I was in middle school at the time and I didn't understand why three beautiful women would be fighting over Jack Nicholson. That too. <laughs> because by 87, he was already looking a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, that happens a lot of movies where I'm like, really? But yeah, but you know, I really liked Practical Magic because I mean, like the scenery is beautiful. You know, they paid the entire town to like let them paint everything white to make a uniform. But, you know, at the end of this, like the witches are accepted, right? And they become, mm-hmm. you know, healers in the community and they do good things. And it's so rare to see like actual happy, good portrayal of witches in the movies. Right. But, you know, I also am completely obsessed with their house, of course. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it, it talks, it sh- shows witchcraft, you know, in a context where you see the complexities of being human and grappling with, you know, with, with what it is to be a witch and how to use that. But ultimately, like it ends well, right? It's not the witches being punished or ostracized or ridiculed. I mean, of course, for the previous 200 years, yes. But, you know, it is, it's nice and sweet in the end. Yeah. I think also to, to go back to Witches of Eastwick for a minute, I think, so that was originally based on a John Updike novel. And, I, and Updike is like, you know, he's won the Pulitzer and stuff. But mm-hmm. he's also the source of a meme that has been going around about, it's a snippet of text about how, how how hard it is for women to pee because like our like our anatomy is confusing or something it makes no fucking sense whatsoever but it's from the book and it's like it's basically his it's somehow he has decided that our anatomy is weird and twisted up and that's why women take so long in the bathroom yeah, I see here uh, a headline that says American author John Updike had no idea how women pee. Yeah, so that's from the book The Witches of Eastwick. So it's definitely, I would say, um, it's not a it's not a feminist uh, witch film. <laughs> no, um, you know, for fun. Here's the quote, yeah. and the passage reads, <clears throat> "But she was, for the bathroom door didn't altogether close." due to the old frame of the house settling over the centuries, and she had to sit on the toilet some minutes waiting for the pee to come. Men, they were able to conjure it up immediately. That was one of their powers, that thunderous splashing as they stood lordly above the bowl. Everything about them was more direct. Their insides weren't the maze women's were for the pee to find its way through. Uh, what the fuck? Oh God! So yeah, me trying to not giggle while you read that. Um, but, yeah, like what? The, and I'm I I when that meme started going around, I looked it up. I'm pretty sure that that character having those thoughts is the Michelle Pfeiffer character. John Updike doesn't know how P works. That's uh, wow. That's my takeaway. Oh. <laughs> that was very bizarre. Um, so. So I, I think that that's something to talk about, though, when you talk about, like, you know, witches and mythology in pop culture is very much like, you know, who is telling these stories? Who is translating these stories? And, you know, that really depends on what you get. And you can have a, you know, you can have something like the craft that tries very hard to have a specific vision 
you can have something like, you know, the Mists of Avalon, which for all of Bradley's, you know, bad points was specifically told with a feminist perspective. Right. Or you can have John Updike talking about sexy witches. <laughs> with confusing pee holes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that that's a that's true, you know, in the movie industry, of course, right? The the idea that everything really is portrayed through the male gaze and how groundbreaking it was, you know, with Wonder Woman because it was directed by a woman. <clears throat> and I, I'm gonna admit, so I watched this movie at like two in the morning in California. I was there for a workshop and I convinced an art workshop and you know, I befriended the teacher and we all agreed to go watch Wonder Woman that night because I was getting on an airplane at like seven in the morning. So I couldn't go the next day. So I basically did an all nighter to watch Wonder Woman. And so it's like three in the morning at this point and I'm sitting in this movie theater and I'm sobbing because like the, the way that it was put together, right? Like I, I am not a movie buff by any stretch. You know, you went to film school. I am definitely not, that's not my field, but I like the, the difference in how the story was being told and like how the imagery was set up, it was noticeable. And I cried because I never realized that I was missing that sort of representation right. in the media. So that for me was like, you know, really overwhelming. Representation matters and it's, you know, it's, it's not enough to simply tell a story. It's how you tell the story. I think something that we need to talk about is Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Okay. I honestly saw, I've only ever read the first book and I've seen some of the movies. I was not a child when these books came out. So I think, but I think, I think it needs to be talked about because so many people got into magic from reading Harry Potter and I definitely remember like Onion articles about how, oh no, Harry Potter is teaching people black magic, it's converting your children, but it actually really did. <laughs> like, well, I know. <laughs> so I still lived in Brazil at the time where we were not spending time panicking about books teaching people witchcraft. That's not a thing that happens in the media over there. Like, I, I don't know. Y'all Americans are weird, but <laughs> you know, so it, it, you know, it came out in 1997. It took, a couple years for it to get to me in, in South America because I, I remember that I was already back in Brasilia after having left Uruguay and I was I think 16 when I first heard about it and I heard it from other people who were you know getting interested in Wicca and witchcraft and they're like oh you have to read these books and I read like the first three pages and I was like this writing is garbage this is written for children I yes. don't like this yes so I couldn't read it. And then I later started watching the movies. And then before, like when the last movie was coming out, I was like, all right, it's now or never. And so I plowed my way through all the books. And I can tell you, like the first two are very much children's books. And then after the fourth, it changes drastically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by the end of it, I was enjoying the books. But for me, it was never something that influenced my wanting to be a witch because you know when I was at the age where I would have had that influence I I couldn't stomach the writing yeah no I definitely like I said I was I was already an adult when these books came out and I was just like this is this is for children I say that like oh like I was too old for it but I definitely have friends that are my age or older that love those books and it's just like okay but this is written for an eight-year-old you like like the character is eight and it's written for like eight-year-old readers and like I said like 
when I was that age, I had Narnia and Pridane. I didn't like, I had done that already. I didn't need an extra, uh, you know, an extra thing. But I think, you know, it is important to bring up because I think that is uh, for a lot of people. And I think something to bring up kind of related to the craft is the TV show Charmed. I watched the shit out of that. I love Charmed. <laughs> I watched some of it. I couldn't really get into it. I think it was a little too, it's a little hokey for me. Um, oh, I loved it. But I was, yeah, <laughs> I was definitely really into Buffy at the time, which I think kind of is maybe sideways part of this conversation because they definitely did base a lot of the, the monsters of the week on mythology, but they mostly just made shit up. And I think that Willow's magic, I think came from a very pop culture fantasy place at the beginning of Buffy. And then by the end, especially with Tara being introduced, they really, in the, you know, the college times, they really kind of tried to make it a little bit more realistic. Yeah. I didn't have access to Buffy, uh, you know, so when I was still in South America, if you had cable TV, you got one American channel, and it was called Sony Entertainment Television, and they just picked a bunch of different American TV shows and, like, played them at different times. So when I moved here and I realized that all these shows belonged on different channels, like, I could not comprehend that. <laughs> and so there was no Buffy, but there was Charmed. So how did you, um, how did you feel about the Charmed's uh, take on, on witchcraft? I loved this idea of, and this goes back to my, the fact that I'd always had a desire for group practice, but I loved that it was, you know, three sisters getting to like live as witches together. And I loved that piece of it. Uh, I enjoyed that they took a step back from being Christian because they, they do have, you know, basically heaven and hell, but they're not calling it that they're calling it, you know, the source of, of evil, the source of good you know, one of the significant others is the source of all evil and disguise and this whole thing. But I felt like they did a good job of it not being a preachy thing. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely enjoyed that. You know, they recently came up with a charmed reboot and I watched about five minutes of it. I couldn't stand it. But I haven't watched I, it at all. Yeah, but it's still I, on. I mean, I, I think they're still making new episodes. I think so. I think so. It didn't do it for me. But I... I loved it. I mean, because they, you know, there was this idea of magic being inherited. And so like you got to see the mother and she was like a sort of really beautiful, light, positive witch, which, you know, you don't get to see a lot of, you know, these were witches who were on the side of air quotes, good, you know, they were fighting, you know, as the good guys, they weren't the villains, which is nice. But what I was really obsessed with was their gorgeous book of shadows. Mm. I was absolutely obsessed with it. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I was a teenager for that. I think um, thinking uh, about like other films that have witchcraft in it, obviously there's a lot of horror films and most of them, it's just, you know, it's just a horror element. But I think one that gets brought up a lot is um, The Wicker Man, specifically the Christopher yes. Lee version from the 70s, uh, not, the, uh, not the Bees, not the Bees remake. Um, which I've is hilarious. Seen, I've only seen the Nick Cage version. Oh God. Okay. You, you definitely need to see the Christopher Lee version. <laughs> it's uh, he, he does not punch any women dressed as bears. <laughs> I can't say I remembered that 
these specifically. It's been a few years, but you know, side note, I just noticed that you have a hanging, you know, like animal skull on your chandelier behind you. you you've never seen As that? one does. Probably. I don't know. You have a lot of skulls. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a plastic cow's head skull with like gold painted horns that I bought at like Michael's or Party City or something. But yeah, <laughs> it, um, one Halloween party, we just kind of shoved it up into the chandelier and it stays there. Um, if I put you, that black spot, which you can sort of see in the video, mm -hmm. is uh, a little feathered um, crow also bought at like Michael's or Joanne Crafts or something. So nice. You but definitely yeah. have the, the witchier house of the two of us. I will concede that. <laughs> but, you know, so Wicker Man, there are things about, it, again, keeping in mind that I've only seen the remake, mm -hmm. but I I like some aspects of it. I like the the idea uh, that it starts to play with is it a closed or open practice and it gets into some sort of deeper concepts that relate to practice of witchcraft. Uh, you know, I enjoy the empowerment of women. Um, I, I think that there's a very beautiful sort of mythology roped into it. I mean, I'm not saying that I approve of the part where they, you know, just like murder men for the harvest, but it, but even that speaks to witchcraft in the idea of how it relates to mythology and the cycles of the earth and blood sacrifice used to be a thing, you know, the king would die to ensure the survival of his people, right? Like, and then mm -hmm. a new king would be reborn. And that's the, the ultimate sacrifice that the God makes within the wheel of the year within some of that mythology, right? He sacrifices himself at Samhain. And so there's definitely a lot of witchcraft built into it if we step outside of the morality of the situation for a moment. But yes, I definitely recommend the 1970s version. It's, a, it's less ridiculous, <laughs> but... Uh... I mean, oh, okay, but the bee, the screaming beast thing, that's only if you're watching the censored version. The uncensored, yeah. you just watch them break his legs. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I watched it on DVD. A friend of mine, when I still lived in Boston, a friend of mine had, um, every week, he'd have people over on Thursdays for what he called bad movie night. That nice. he would watch, we would watch a shitty movie, and we would make fun of it as we were watching it. And there are certain people who couldn't join us because they can't deal with people talking during the movie. But part of the idea of it being a shitty movie was that it was okay to talk during it, that you weren't like, you know, missing out on anything like profound, you know, and we put the subtitles on. So people wanted to like, you know, follow along. They could watch the subtitles if people were talking over it. But that was, we had a whole Nicolas Cage month with 8mm and Next and what the off. You need uh, to have face off. I don't know if we need to. I think that I think that he, uh, my friend liked that movie too much that we didn't do face off. Uh, um, no, that, no, that is a good movie. All right. But anyway, yeah. So my memory of it might not be crystal clear because we were deliberately trashing that movie while watching it. <laughs> Something else from like a more mythological standpoint, although it's it's sort of witchy, but two movies by Neil Jordan. Company of Wolves from the 80s and Undine from, I don't know, five or six years ago. So Neil Jordan, he got, he was famous for The Crying Game. He also made the first vampire movie from the Anne Rice movies, Anne Rice books. Oh, Interview um, with a Vampire? Yeah. So he directed Interview with a Vampire. But so the first thing I had seen, I saw this when I was in, um, in film school, Company of Wolves is it's um, like an anthology movie. So it's a whole bunch of short 
films about different types of werewolves and they're all kind of tied together in this little red riding hood story but it's like super creepy and anyway so i think just like from a mythological standpoint this is more like fairy tale rather than true myth or magic but there is a lot of magic there and then undine which came out like i said within the last 10 years it has um, Colin Farrell is playing an Irish fisherman and he, in his net, he gets this, this beautiful woman comes up in his fishing net and the whole movie is like, is she a Selkie? It goes into the history of the Selkie and the idea of that, you know, if her seal coat is missing, then she can't become a seal again and join the water. And it's this whole kind of backwards and forwards mermaid thing. And those two movies specifically, he ha- you know, he's had made a lot of films, but those two movies specifically really touch this, this magical foundation, I think, of fairy tale and mythology. And, you know, while it's not like a specific magic, you know, there's no witches, um, there's no specific mythology from a religion. They're based more on fairy tales with the, the wolves and, and the, selkie but um they both they both have this real feeling to them that i think brings them into this so i'm really embarrassed to say that the whole time that you were telling me the story i was thinking about the splash (laughs) i first saw that at a sleepover party in middle school yeah (laughs) um but this made me think of a much more recent movie, an animated movie from 2014 called Song of the Sea about Selkies Mm -hmm. that is really beautifully animated and gets into the mythology of Selkies. It's, there's a father who, you know, has, I think there's two children, I don't remember, but, you know, one of the kids is discovering that she's a Selkie and that their mom was one. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really beautifully made. But I was realizing that going back to a previous talk about what was influencing us early on. So, you know, you had Narnia when you were a kid, you know, a lot of people had Harry Potter and I'm kind of in the in-between where I, I was trying to think what was mine and it was the worst witch books. I love those books. Did you read those? I have not read them. I've, I've seen part of the, the TV show or movie. I don't know what, but I have not, uh, I have not read them. No. Oh, God, what? There was this book. I can't remember what it was. There was a book and it was not Mrs. Frizzle, but it was another book about a teacher who was like Miss Switch was her name but she was really she was a witch and she like put an s before the witch in her name to disguise that fact i don't even remember what the book was called it may i mean maybe called miss switch but anyway she was a she was a grade school teacher who was a witch at night or you know a witch on the side or you know whatever whichever direction yeah Yeah, i remember (laughs) i remember those books i remember i remember like going to the walden books in the mall and like trying to get my mom to buy me the the next one in the series (laughs) <laughs> yeah the worst witch was another one of those where the witches like being a witch is a good thing and it's portrayed in a positive way and so that was really influential for me so much so that I actually still have my old beat-up copies of that and so you're talking about the old movie that had um, Tim Curry in it that was hilarious yes. yes but they actually just recently I think it was last year the year before they came out with a tv show a British tv show and it was featuring Bella Ramsey who was oh god she was in Game of Thrones she was something Mormont. I'm not good with the name yet, but she was like the, you know, like nine-year-old fierce, like head of household. And yeah, so she was in that. And so I, I 
I watched it because, you know, it just filled me with joy and nostalgia. And I think they did a good job, but it's nice to see which is just portrayed like in good, happy ways. Yeah. Oh, what's that? It's like a lifetime TV show. Like, is it called like the good witch or something like that, where she runs a, like an herbal apothecary in town and then the new doctor comes in and they spar about how people should be treated, whether with like modern medicine or with herbs. And she's, she's not against modern medicine, but he's against herbs. And again, this, this is, this is fairly recent. And I think it's like, it's like Lifetime or Hallmark Channel or something like that. But I've seen a couple episodes and it was cute, but it was a little too cute for me. But <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get through past the first episode on that one. So I can't speak to that one. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever watch Kiki's Delivery Service? I did not. Oh, it's so cute. So Kiki's Delivery Service is an anime from 1989 and it's super cute. And it's a little coming of age story about a little witch girl. And this in this world, basically every village has a witch. And, you know, so when a new witch is born, when she becomes 13, she sets off to go and become like a new village's witch. And they all have like differing powers. And Kiki specifically is flying and that's how she ends up having a delivery service but you know it's, it's just very sweet because again you know like witches again are you know they were boon to their village it's not a bad thing and it's just a very sweet coming of age story so i i like that one yeah and uh, i have looked it up it is it is the miss switch book series and it's for eight to twelve year olds and they've made a couple animated uh movies about them in the, the 80s but I never watched the movies. I just uh, read the books. I think, unfortunately, we're getting to a point where we need to acknowledge the chilling adventures of Sabrina. <laughs> okay. Have you, have you watched it? I have not watched the most recent season. Okay, well, you've seen enough of it. Yeah, this... I, I saw until they went to hell and they were battling in hell and I got kind of bored. Yeah, it just it gets it gets worse and worse. So one thing that I did like about it was that being a witch does have a spiritual component to it right that it's not just powers but it does have it is a spiritual practice and i was sad that of course it is satanism because you know satanism and witchcraft are not the same thing but i still felt like they were handling it pretty well and then i got mad at them when they introduced the pagans as the villains oh i did see that episode and it was it was really weird it was it was just it was really awkwardly done like they showed up at a picnic or something right yeah but i i really resented that right because first of all you're calling yourselves witches but you're actually satanists and then you throw the pagans under the bus so from a you know witchcraft perspective i was very annoyed with that and, you know, that's excluding all the other things that offended me, such as not knowing the difference between knitting and crochet and <laughs> a really inappropriate, like, series finale. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the last season at all. I've, but I think I've saw, I saw all of them up until that. But I do remember when the pagans came in, and I was just like, this, this could have been handled better. This is just weird. I don't know. Like, I didn't know what they were trying to get at with that. So I want to say some of the things that, like I've mentioned that I help moderate an Atlantic pagan group on Facebook. And some of the things that people come in saying that they were inspired by to worship um, Greek de deities include, you know, Disney's Hercules and the Lore Olympus webcomic, even like Hercules and Xena. 
So I think like a lot of those have really, like I said, I, you know, Clash of Titans for me when I was little, but I think the Greek myths have really been remade many times to greater and lesser uh, abilities. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes they're done well, sometimes they're not done well. It's always kind of like, why is Hades always the bad guy? They're really kind of taking a Christian lens on that. You know, he's not the devil. He's the Lord of the underworld. That's not, that's not the same thing at all. But I think, you know, I'm, I personally, oh, and the Percy Jackson novels as well. Um, and I think that uh, those are really influencing a lot of people now, the Percy Jackson novels, especially with the younger people. I haven't actually read any of them, but I wanted to acknowledge them because I know that, you know, people are inspired by them. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, feel free to send us an Instagram message or an email at Ask a Witch at Witch City Witches. And, um, and we can, we can talk about how that has been inspiring to you or any of the things that we've talked about today that, or, you know, we've missed, we've missed a lot of things. So we still have some time, but. Well, one of the ones that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, like that independent movie with Black Phillip, you know, which with double V's. Yep. <laughs> Vich. I don't know how we're supposed to pronounce it. I think just which. What did you think of that? I thought that it was really funny. <laughs> and like my husband and I went to see it um, at the C Cinema Salem here in town. And it was like the middle of the day and there weren't that many other people in the theater with us. And like, they were really funny parts. And we had to stop like laughing because like the people were offending the people around us. Like those two little, the twins that were such demon children when they first did like a, you know, a hard cut to them roped to the paddock so that they couldn't get away and they're just running around screaming. It was a really funny shot. The way that the father dies at the end from the thing that he's been like uselessly doing the entire movie to avoid his other responsibilities, that's funny. But I, I, other people didn't find it funny. <laughs> I found it funny. I liked that in the end, she was just like, screw this, bye, I'm gonna be a witch. I was actually, I actually asked a friend of mine before we were recording what some of her favorites were and that's what she said she loves witch and she says she loves it because fuck you puritan family i'm joining the coven <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that a lot of people were like like oh it's so scary it's just like i didn't find it that scary and yeah you know and another recent movie that i didn't find scary was hereditary which i don't know if you've seen it i still um, haven't seen it because you said it wasn't great so i didn't bother I don't know. A lot of people really love that film. I know that people who do have a relationship with Payman or King Payman from the Goadia, who is, you know, he's one of the spirits in the Lesser Key of Solomon, um, who is what the hereditary is all based around, that it's just a secret cult. It's one of those things that people are like, oh, what's going on? But like, they're wearing a symbol. They're wearing like necklaces and stuff with a symbol of his name throughout the whole thing. And so if you're even like passingly familiar, if you've seen these sorts of sigils before, you have a pretty good idea. Like you may not be able to like point out like, oh, I know what spirit that sigil's for, but you're like, oh, well, that's a sigil. I know that that means something. That's not a random design. Um, I've seen that before. 
So I don't know. And they they definitely took liberties with, you know, the magical practice there. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I thought that some of the special effects were supposed to be gory were so completely over the top that they were hilarious. There are a lot of beheadings in that film. And I thought that they were all comical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you are a goth and all that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that just might be me. Uh, so that's the same director that did Midsummer, which I liked okay. I So many of my film friends love that movie and I was, uh, it's okay. I thought it was visually very stunning. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but see it as a, you know, contemporary Wicker Man sort of a little bit right very much yeah that very insular thing that closed practice them versus us mentality it's very much in the folk horror tradition yeah but you know but realistically you know nobody calls themselves witches and i can't correlate it a ton to my you know witchcraft practice other than the idea of it being harvest festivals and I mean, I guess it's the same thing, right? It's harvest festivals and sacrifice and the ongoing idea that, you know, shedding blood feeds the land. Right. Did you watch in the 2017, uh, The Ritual? It's a group of old college friends that go on a forest trip in Northern Europe and they get like attacked by like an old forest spirit. No, it has been recommended to me on Netflix. (laughs) I have not watched it. Well, yeah, I like that one because it speaks to, you know, the idea of sort of site-specific deities, right? Energies that come to be from, you know, from the lived experiences there. And it's definitely, you know, got that like dark, like mythological vibe to it. Yeah. Actually, speaking of forest deities, there is also on Netflix, it's a show called Black Spot or um, Le Zone Blanche in French. And it's Belgian, and it is about this town in the forest on, like, the the French-Belgian border where there's something weird about it that um, it's basically, it's, it's a dead zone for electronics. Like, it's hard to get a cell phone signal out and stuff. And it has a murder rate that is, like, you know, like, 100 times larger than anywhere else of a similar size. Um, well, that makes sense. But there's a forest deity and the, the whole, it kind of goes back and forth between like, is the forest deity good or bad? And in my opinion, it's, you know, it's neutral because it's of the forest. And so if you're, if your morality of good or bad is, is it good for people, then it's causing a lot of people to die, but it's also protecting the environment. So, you know, it's, I mean, that it, gets into a whole question that, you know, I've discussed this with friends so many times, but the idea that there is no clear distinction between good and evil and the idea of the villain, like the cartoon bad guy who's just evil because he thinks it's funny to hurt people, that's mm-hmm. not really a thing, right? Everyone in a conflict thinks they're the good guy. Mm-hmm. Like no yeah. one, like very few people are going into a conflict being like, I'm going to be a dick and it's going to be great, you know? Uh, so, so there really isn't that kind of absolutism in, in real life. Yeah. 
Yeah, if there's one thing I've found by watching supernatural horror TV shows on Netflix, it is that the forest between France and Belgium is haunted as fuck. (laughs) 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 Because there's several shows about like, oh, don't go in the forest. Like the forest will eat you. There's a couple TV shows I thought I would mention. They're more um, fairy tale based than witches or uh, real mythology, but Grimm and uh, Lost Girl. Well, then you have to mention Supernatural as well. And Supernatural, yes. And although Supernatural, I was a fan for a long time. I was like, when it first started off, I was like on the television without pity boards. I was one of the people like starting petitions to get them to cover it. And like, anyway, I was a big fan when it first started off. I have some issues with the show and that the, um, that pagan gods of a variety of different cultures are often the bad guys and they have murdered several of them. Right. Um, So I have, I have some issues there. I think the show I haven't seen the last seasons. I think that it is, they're religious, it's, it's theologically confusing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it when it was, you know, Monster of the Week flavor. Like that amused me and that was great. I got mad at them for having a bad guy called Sam Hain. And I was like, okay, like I'm upset with that on so many levels. <laughs> but then when it shifted from, you know, Monster of the Week to, you know, we are warriors for you know for the christian god like it it got very very christian and as you mentioned they are killing off deities from other cultures and there's just a lot of messaging there that like lost me right yeah i think it's interesting because like the 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 writers changed a few times and i'm interested interested to look up the backgrounds of the people who kind of took over towards the end because for the first few seasons, most of the writing team was Jewish and it had a very, that it was not Christian at all in its, its viewpoint, that, that it, had, it had more of a, a Jewish philosophy behind it um, in its approach to deity. And I'll be interested to see like, you know, if um, as the writing teams change, because it was on for 15 years, I think. You know, as the writing teams changed, like how the backgrounds of the writing teams influenced the storylines, because that's I think that's an important point. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And um, going back to a previous one you mentioned, Lost Girl, I'd actually forgotten about that, but I did watch it. I did enjoy just the supernaturally feel of it, and I don't mean supernatural as in the show, but just the Mm -hmm. more magical reality than ours. Yeah, and it had a kick-ass bisexual succubus as its lead. So, you know, what's not to like? Right. And, you know, who doesn't love Dyson vacuum cleaners, which is all I could ever think about with that character. <laughs> I'd be like, that's right. My Dyson is an animal. <laughs> I could never get past that every time. I think my <laughs> Dyson actually says animal on it because it's special made for pet hair. Well, exactly. I No, mine is too. I <laughs> So actually one of the more modern things, I haven't seen the TV show, but I have read the book, which is American Gods. Oh, the TV show makes me so sad. So, okay, well, let's go back and talk about the book. Let's leave the TV show out of it for mm-hmm. now. I, that book was hard for me to read. I will admit, uh, Nate recommended it to me originally and I tried to read it and I saw that the main character was called Shadow and I thought that he was trying too hard to be cool and I, I couldn't but I went back to it later 
So I really like that American Gods ex explores the idea of egregore. That is something that was talked a lot about in my witchcraft studies before I moved to the US and I don't see it discussed as much here, right? But it's that idea of, you know, a, a deity that takes form because enough people believe in it. And that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're pooling energy until an, uh, a deity manifests. And it's very interesting because American Gods looks at that distinction between, you know, the original egregores and what they've become, you know, on, on this continent as a result of you know immigration and how things change right because you have the original odin who is mr wednesday right uh like the depiction of kali is very stark right where he or she's become this very uh you know soft you know hippy dippy figure as opposed to kali who was a much more terrifying devastating figure in the original context so i think that that one is really good when it comes to like the exploration of mythology i do I mean, I really like how they modernized the a lot of the old deities. I will say that I don't agree that the gods need us. That, you know, that the gods will fade away to nothingness if they're not worshipped. I think they're eternal. And, you know, we need them a lot more than they need us. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, yeah. So, you know, but I did, um, I did like that book. And I'm just thinking, I, I had read that book about the same time I had read, it was one of the Douglas Adams, Dirk Gently novels. I think it was Long Dark Tikai, of the Soul. But anyway, it also involves Odin and Thor and in the modern world. And yeah, I had read them at, like within a year of each other. It was just very interesting, I guess, two British takes on, on Norse mythology um, into the real world and, you know, just um, and to compare and contrast them. And uh, I don't know if you've ever read any of the Douglas Adams, Dirk Gently. No, but I novels. have seen the Dirk Gently TV show that came out. Yeah, so he's a, he's a holistic detective and he mm -hmm. solves crimes by um, just kind of going with it. <laughs> like in yeah. one of the novels, like he's not sure where to go. So he picks a car at random and follows that car. Mm -hmm. and like and it leads him to the right place you know he sees a cat and he follows the cat and it's just like he's waiting for like fate to kind of like pull him along well he's so. basically doing detective work through synchronicity it's really yes. interesting yeah um so one of my favorites and i'm realizing that we're running a little long but one of my favorite portrayals of witches in books is terry pratchett mm. I love his Discworld witches. I thought they were really amazing. And I think for anyone who is, uh, you know, younger or even looking for books to give to, you know, kids who are interested in the idea of witchiness, like the Tiffany Aching books are amazing. And, you know, she's a kid growing into like early adolescence and going through that process of understanding that a lot of witchcraft is more about common sense and doing the work than, you know, just actual hocus pocus. And I really loved that. Yeah, I, I do. I really do like um, the, the Discworld books. I will say I do not like the character of Rincewind the Magician, who is the main character of the first three or four of the books. I find him very annoying. He's he's a uh, he's a wizard. He's bad at it. And although he kind of he also just kind of stumbles into things. Right, but they do but, teach wizards and witches very differently in the book. Right, but what I'm going to say is if you decide to read the Discworld books in order and you find him very annoying, 
you can just skip the books that he's the main character in and go on to the other books. They're loosely tied together. You don't I need- actually never read the ones with him as a main character, and I don't feel like I missed anything. So yeah. <laughs> you go. He's a very popular character. He personally annoyed me. And he's the main character of the first couple books. So yes, I, I do really like Discworld. In fact, I think the first one that I had read was Hogfather, which is his um, satirical take on Christmas, which I'm sure everyone has seen the web memes that have been going around, uh, go around every Christmas about there's a skeleton dressed as Santa Claus and giving a, a young child a sword and being told you can't give the child a sword. It's they'll hurt themselves. And skeleton Santa says it's educational. And they're like, well, what if she gets hurt? And like, well, that's a very important lesson. And the Santa Claus in these books is not Santa as we know them, but is the hog father who's sort of half pig and death has to take over for him one Christmas or Hogsmas or whatever it's called. But <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Hogfather. I was not in love with the BBC production of the movie. You know those movies that they try so hard to get every detail from the book that the movie is flat? Yes. They didn't bother making a movie. They just put the book on screen. Yeah. And I felt like it was just really, I don't know, it felt flat to me, but I really do like Hogfather. And we keep talking about doing a Hogfather display for Christmas some year, but I've I've never, because Home Depot sells like light up pigs. You know, I have skeletons for Halloween. So I was like, you know, I can put a skeleton with a sleigh driven by pigs. It'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) so i think uh i think we're running out of time here and we're gonna have to continue this later yeah uh there's still so many good things to talk about but uh, we hope that our listeners have enjoyed this sort of more lighthearted discussion about witchcraft we'll definitely be back to more serious witchy topics next time but if you have any questions for us, any movies, TV shows, or books that you'd like us to mention in you know, the next episode where we talk about pop culture, send us an email at askawitchatwitchcitywitches.com. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us. Follow us on Instagram at Witch City Witches. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>